the iPads for my notes. The phone is because the Eagles are playing. It's a big, big game. I know what you guys are thinking. Wrong brother. <laughs> What's going on? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity for all of us to be here today. We thank you that we live in a place where we can worship you, where we can congregate without fear, without oppression, and we thank you for the favor and the blessings that you've poured on all of our lives. We pray for those around the world who don't have that now, Lord. We pray for the persecuted, the forgotten. We pray for all those suffering. We pray for the people of Aleppo, the civilians, Lord the aid workers, the hospital workers. We pray for everyone trying to get people out of that place. We pray that you just put your hands on that situation, Lord. We pray for your intervention in that situation. We thank you, Lord, for how lucky we are. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, a couple of weeks ago, when we were having our Agape staff meeting and we were deciding what we were going to talk about this Christmas, um, it was actually Mom who had the idea. She said, how about we start breaking down Christmas carols? Last year, we kind of did the journey through Christmas leading up to Christmas Day. And this year, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to see if there was an angle or something that we could speak to that we could talk about that we don't always talk about. So we said, you know, music is one of those things for me that I love. I know all of us love music. We have an amazing worship team, and we get regaled with all these songs every Sunday, and it has a huge impact. You can feel the spirit in the room. You can feel the power in the room. But I know for myself, music is one of those things where it kind of takes hold of me, and you don't always think of what's being said. You kind of fall into autopilot mode. You start singing... Um, you love the melody, it reminds you of things in the past, and you just go. I know, you know, I love hip-hop, you sh- probably shouldn't say that from the altar, but I love hip-hop, I love rap music, and I catch myself rapping along to lyrics and to songs and having to catch myself and said, whoa, I just said, what, what did I just say? What am I saying? What am I reciting right now? So, and, I, and I think a similar thing happens with the Christmas carols on the other side of the spectrum. We have these songs that are written that are meant to praise and glorify God, but do do we actually understand what's being said? Are we following along with the meaning? So when I was coming up with the song that I was going to preach about, I was thinking about a bunch of different songs, and at that staff meeting, I said, you know, I think someone should talk about Rudolph, and I said it half-jokingly. I said it half-jokingly because Rudolph is a kid's song. It's a song about 
a reindeer who um, is teased and laughed at because he has a shiny red nose and the other reindeer won't play with him, but then this chubby white guy in a sleigh comes and attaches him to the other reindeer and everything's great, everything's happy. Rudolph's back in the fold and, you know, we love it. Um, while we were singing it, it seemed like everybody was really excited. I was excited. There was something about the song that made me happy. But I think there's a deeper meaning behind the story of Rudolph. I think there's a truth behind the story of Rudolph that's apparent in every single one of our lives. As we come into this Christmas season, it's felt a little bit different for me. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas carols. I love the time I get to spend with my family, with my brother and my mom and you know my dad and Sarahi, and we just get to hang out and fellowship and the rest of it. But this Christmas season has been a darker Christmas season. I think we're going through a period in the country where there's been a lot of division. We've been more divided than we ever have been before. It's been easier to demean people. It's been easier to mock people. It's been easier to leave people out and treat people as if they're different than any time in my life that I remember. So I think going into this, the story of a reindeer, the story of a reindeer who was left out by a group of other reindeer, a reindeer who was mocked and laughed at and treated like he didn't have value was something that was worth talking about. Rudolph isn't really a story about a reindeer and a shiny nose. It's a story about exclusion and inclusion. That's what, that's what the story of Rudolph is. It's a reindeer who didn't fit in with the rest of the crowd, who wasn't accepted by the rest of the crowd, needed someone else to come in and add value to that reindeer for that reindeer to finally be accepted. I think the fundamental truth at the beginning of the story is that we were created to be in community. For Rudolph to be left out from the other reindeer, it had to be different. It had to be difficult. That's not something that anybody wants to go through. We want to be accepted. I know it's tough for us as human beings. We all have the desire for belonging. We all have the deep desire to be in community. It's not a fault, it's not a weakness, it's how we were created. Even with babies, if you put your hand in the finger of the baby, the baby grabs back. From the infancy stage, we still want that desire, we want that connection with other human beings. Before we can even walk and talk. I think about Adam, Adam in the garden, I think about how easy his life was. You have this guy, who was put in the middle of a trouble-free, free of responsibility, free of the curse of knowledge, free of heartache, free of eagle's loss after eagle's loss after eagle's loss. He knew nothing about pain. He knew nothing about misery. He didn't know insecurity. He didn't know what any of those things were, and yet he still wasn't happy. There was something missing from his life. This guy was the first person put here on earth. He was surrounded by everything, and he was still unhappy. What more do you need? But he needed somebody else. He needed a community. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper. It's in the Bible, babe. <laughs> 
Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Should have picked a different translation. <laughs> the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The interesting thing about this verse was, to me, it was, it was the way it was phrased. It's not the fact that God decided that Adam needed someone else. It's the way he said it. God didn't say, wow, I've given Adam everything and this ingrate's still not happy. He didn't say, eh, he's good, but let's put Eve in there and spice things up. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, I would think it's not good for other reasons. You know, you have one guy in the middle of a garden, surrounded by animals. It's literally a matter of time before he burns that place down. You know, we need to get a woman there ASAP to keep the garden in one place. But I think what God was saying was, he saw Adam by himself, and he determined that it wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed someone else, even in the midst of his unadulterated, unblemished perfection of what God had created, even with no worries and no responsibility, Adam still needed community. And it shouldn't surprise us. Adam himself is there because of God's desire for community. We were put here on this earth because God desires to be in community with us. Adam is just a follow-up of that. I think for most of us, our best memories in life is that of community. It's the relationships we have with other people. When I think of things that bring me joy, I don't think about a raise I might have received or a promotion that I might have gotten or a new toy that I'm super excited about right now, but I'm going to forget about it tomorrow. I think about the times I've spent with people. I think about Richard and I just hanging out, doing nothing at the breakfast table at my parents' house, laughing and telling jokes till whatever time. I think about waking up early in the morning and watching Wimbledon with my dad and just hanging out and enjoying each other. I think about when we were kids and we would road trip from Philadelphia to Virginia and Toronto and Rich would be passed out in the back of the car and my mom and I would just chat about anything and everything. As I get ready to get married in a couple of months, I think about all the times that Sadi and I have spent together just learning about one another. Those are the things that are important in life. Those are the things that give our life meaning and value and spice. And those are the things that God wants for us. That's why he's given us other people. So of course it was difficult for Rudolph. Of course it was difficult for him when the other reindeer left him out and they mocked him and they laughed at him and they wouldn't let him play. Whether you're the most popular person in the room, you know, you were popular in school, you were accepted as a kid, you're loved at work. It doesn't matter. I think every single one of us can relate to being left out of something. We can all relate with the idea that we don't belong somewhere. We all have a place in our life where we want to be accepted, but we're not feeling that way. I remember the first time I truly felt left out of something was probably when we moved to the United States. In um, Dubai, where we grew up, we went to Catholic school. In Catholic school, you wear uniforms. You know, we wore um, these terrible white button-up shirts that we would tuck in to our navy blue shorts that would go to right around here. And we had these black shoes. And, you know, if you think California is hot in the summertime, Dubai is about 15 degrees hotter. So we wanted stuff that was comfortable. 
So when we moved here and we found out that in middle school, we don't have to wear uniform. We can wear whatever we want. We were super excited. Little did we know, we didn't know anything about fashion. We didn't know about Nike or Jordan or the rest of it. And Rich and I, we would get teased in school. We would get teased for what we wore. We would get teased for these are the things that kids do. You know, these are the things that I did later to other kids. You know, we, we would get mocked and, you know, and we, people would laugh at our accents or other things. I'm sure the immigrants in the room can, um, you know, relate. <laughs> but it was the first time in my life where I realized that I was different. And it wasn't, I wasn't different because of something I, was, I did, but I was different and I wasn't accepted because of something that I was. And that was a difficult reality for me to grasp. I think it's easier to be left out when you do something stupid. You know what you did. You know, um, if you treat somebody poorly, expect not to be included the next time. If you're disrespectful to your friends, they might not be your friends much longer. But each of us has things about us that make us different from somebody else that you have no control over. Rudolph was mocked not because his nose was shiny. His nose was shiny His nose was shiny even after Santa came and he was loved then. Rudolph was mocked because he was different. It's an important distinction for us to make. Society teaches us that difference is bad. God has given us the gift of people. But as humans, we find ways to separate ourselves from people. We find ways to make people different from us. We look for the shiny red noses in other people. Like all good things that God has given us, we've found in a way to let our sinful nature corrupt it. We have a need to be special. Our sinful nature tells us we need to be special. Accepting the gift of being in relationship with one another that God has given us is not enough. We live in a world that tells us we can't be in if someone isn't out. We want to go to the club that other people can't get into. We want to go to the restaurant that you can't get a reservation to. If everyone's allowed in, it's not special. We, want, we don't want a place in that. We've taken the very thing that God has given us as something to be treasured and valued, and we've found ways to cut people out of it. We say it's a social media generation, you know, a generation that judges its value not in who you are and what you do, but in how many Twitter followers you have, how many Instagram followers you have, how many Facebook likes you get. That's the thing that's important. That's what shows you're popular. It shows you're special. Look how many friends I have. But I think if we're honest, it's always been that way. There's always been a world of the in and the out, the jocks and the geeks, the worthy and the unworthy. I think social media has just made it measurable. You can now actually quantify it. We search for the shiny red nose of other people, whatever they may be. Looks. Weight, accent, hair, lack of hair. (laughs) Singling out people, keeping them separate. This is not something that's unique to individuals. I think the church has become skilled in the art of exclusion. We're sophisticated in how we tear people down and leave people out. The people outside the church, they're child's play. We do it way better than they do. We've created systems and processes to keep people separate from us. We've created denominations to tell you how we're different from one another. 
On the entry point, we say this is how we're different from that, that group of people over there. Yeah, we're all Christians. We all love Jesus. We all believe he died for our salvation, but that's not enough because they believe that and we believe that. And we, we use our own self-righteousness to justify our decisions, to say that it's okay for us to believe that about that group of people because I know what God's thinking. If a fellow Christian has a different view from you on baptism or communion or homosexuality or a million other things, it's not that we just disagree with them and say we still maintain our opinion on our interpretation of scripture. We view them as an outsider, as an enemy of our faith often. Those aren't things that we say, but that's how we feel. That's what we say when we're not in church. We convince ourselves that it's not only okay for us to condemn and judge other people, but we're actually defending God's word when we're doing so. And it's not just over contentious issues where we as a church alienate people. Even within our church communities, inside the doors of where we say we're all one, where we've agreed that we believe the same thing, we build our, we build our circles outside of other people. We draw lines between us. We make our own exclusive communities within our own churches. We worship Jesus in our comfort zones. We build Bible studies and have lunches where other people aren't welcome and some people are welcome. We ignore so many around us who are looking for the same community we are. So are we so different from the reindeer who mocked and laughed at Rudolph? The ones who wouldn't let him in their group? Aren't we the first to point out the shiny red noses the moment something happens that we disagree with? Rudolph was mocked, teased, and then ostracized from the rest of the group. Nobody would play with him. Then Santa arrived. Santa sees Rudolph all by himself and says, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? I don't think Santa actually needed Rudolph to guide his sleigh. I think Santa was delivering presents to little kids long before Rudolph and probably will be delivering presents to little kids long after Rudolph. I don't actually know the lifespan of a reindeer, but <laughs> problem. Magic reindeer. But Santa added value to Rudolph's life. Santa saw a reindeer that was alone, that was mistreated, that was left aside, left apart, and cast away from the group. And Santa went to that reindeer and said, you're important, you're valuable. That shiny red nose that you have, it's beautiful. And I want you to come guide my sleigh. I want you to be important. I want you to stand with me and all the other reindeer are going to see it. Santa dignified Rudolph. He made him valuable in the eyes of the other reindeer by selecting him for such an important position. It's not our differences that makes us outcasts. It's our sinful nature, our pride, our insecurities that search out the differences in other people so we can feel better about ourselves. Let's be clear. I'm... Santa is not the God character in this story. We don't worship a Santa Claus. We love Santa Claus. He brings us presents. It's exciting, but we don't worship Santa Claus. We worship a God who sent his son to die on a cross for us so that we could all be the same. In Matthew 22, verse 36, the Pharisees, they were amazed by Jesus in this setting. They were trying to catch him out. They kept giving him all these different scenarios. They were trying to outsmart him. They gave him hypothetical scenarios about this and about that, and they tried to trip him up. The guy who was doing it was a lawyer. 
They hadn't been able to get him, so they gave him one last shot. And in Matthew 22, verse 36, the guy says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Ten Commandments, for the longest time, had been the greatest influencer in Jewish culture. The Jews, as Rhea has talked about it so many times in Bible studies, had built rules and laws on top of the Ten Commandments to make sure that they didn't get close to breaking a commandment. If you had this commandment, and I set all these restrictions below it, I know for certain that I wasn't going to violate that commandment. But when Jesus was asked about what is the greatest of the commandments, he only named two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor like yourself. It's so easy, but so difficult. Sometimes I think that there's almost safety in the Ten Commandments. It's so easy to hide behind numbers. The more commandments, the more things for me to feel good about. I didn't kill anybody today. Check. I haven't committed adultery today. Check. I haven't stolen. Check. Hmm, coveted my neighbor's goods. Hmm, fail. Three out of four is not bad. I mean, if I, if I went down that list from top to bottom, yeah, I mean, there'd probably be a few violations, but overall, on a daily basis, I'd feel pretty good about myself. So if the Ten Commandments is like grading on a curve, love your neighbor like yourself is a pass-fail. There's no hiding behind that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor like yourself. I love myself a lot. Even when I'm hard on myself, even when I'm disappointed with myself, I show myself more grace than anyone I've ever shown before. I'm willing to forgive myself for things that I will never forgive or, or I'm likely not to forgive somebody else. I don't know that I could say the same for my neighbor. Love your neighbor like yourself. That's a difficult thing. I find that this is a part of the scripture that we as a church don't talk about enough. I think it's something that we view as difficult, almost as unattainable. So we gloss over it and we go on to other things. I don't think we should gloss over it. I think we're going, we're going through a culture shift in the church right now. And I think we're seeing splits and divisions on so many lines and people are angry with so many people and people who have disagreements with other people don't want to talk to them, but we want to talk at them and we want to fight about it and we want to separate ourselves from it. And I think we need to remind ourselves at the calling that Jesus asked for us. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus' response was to love our neighbor like ourselves. Jesus' life and message is one of radical inclusion. He was an unlikely God, the guy who was born in a manger, the man who came down and defied the status quo, the guy who stood up to the in crowd of the day, the guy who stood up to the moral authority, the person who would de defend people 
who were accused of adultery, the person who would defend people who were accused, I mean, not defend people, who would hang out with people who were the lowest of society in the day. Jesus came for the Rudolphs of the world. He came for the red noses. He came for the forgotten and lost sheep who either strayed or had been left by the crowd. Jesus' life broke down the barrier between us. His birth and then death signified that we were all people. As long as we believed in him, we were all equal. But whether you believed him or not, he loved us all the same. We talk often in the church about how much God loves us, and he does. And, you know, there have been several points in my life where I've truly felt the love of God, and it is overwhelming. I don't feel it every day, but the times that I have felt it remind me that it's there, and it's consistent cerebrally, even when I'm not in the phase of feeling God's love, I know it's there. I've felt it before, I know I'll feel it again. And I think it's a part of our human condition that relates love to value. We constantly think about how much God loves us. It's easy for us to start believing that God loves us because we're special. We take the fact that God loves us because he is a God of love and we are sinners and he has poured his love on us and we join the two and we say we're special. You know, that Adam, he's special. Works at Door of Hope, you know, works at an organization that he helps homeless families. Oh, he's a special guy, that Adam. And slowly, I take the fact that God loves me, not because he is a God of love, but God loves me because I am Adam, and I am special. Pastor Henry, doctor, spends his time. He heals people. When he's not healing people, he visits people who are sick. Then he speaks at church, and he's devoted. Pastor Henry is an amazing man, and he's special. You are special, Pastor Henry. (laughs) God's love is constant. And even if you don't feel it every day, cerebrally, you know it's there. You do nothing and have done nothing to deserve it. Our pride tells us that we are loved because we're special. We'd never say it. Those are not the sorts of things that Christians say. But we feel it. And we behave like it. I think it's time for us to stop focusing on how much God loves us. And maybe focus on how much he doesn't. God doesn't love you an ounce more than he loves the person next to you. All the hopes and dreams that you have for your life, the things that God wants for you, he has for other people as well. The joy he wants for your life, the fulfillment he wants for your life, he has the same hopes for everybody else, the same hopes for everyone. At Agape, we say we're different. You know, we pride ourselves on our racial and cultural diversity. We pride ourselves on our generational diversity. It's been said many times that Sunday morning is the most segregated day in America. And we say that's not true here. And that is true. You know, I think one of the things that I love Agape, I love about Agape, is how accepted and how loved we were when we got here. When Rich and I and my family got to Agape, we were not regular church attendees. We didn't want to come here. We were forced here kicking and screaming by my mom. We didn't want to come to youth group. We would rather stay at home and play video games. Our mom forced us to come to youth group. And then leaders like Mike Mancini 
and Dean and Jovi and Ariadne and other people accepted us into that community. We had never felt that acceptance before. We had never felt that love before. And when I look out into the congregation, I see the ties between people. I see people who are here because they were loved and accepted by other people and other people who are here because they were also loved and included into the community. But even with that, even in our agape community, I think it's important that we don't spend too much time patting ourselves on the back for how diverse we are and how inclusive we are. I think people come and people go at Agape. And do we notice? Do we see that the people who are once here are no longer here? Are we the Santa character in the story? Are we the person who reaches out for the reindeer who have been left out? Are we the person who goes after those who are feeling forgotten or those who are feeling broken? I think outside these doors are people of all ages and colors yearning to be a part of something, yearning to belong somewhere. And we live in a world where those feats, the church seats are not being filled by people who are looking for community. Jesus accepted those with the red noses. He accepted those who felt different and felt abandoned. I am at Agape because I have felt accepted into a community where once I didn't feel like I belonged. I think our job moving forward is to be the Santa of the story. I think our job is to intervene, to be uncomfortable, to be defenders of justice, to love those who have been left behind and forgotten. I think it's easy for us to get caught up in all the rules and regulations around Christianity, but I think the mandate's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor like yourself. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the gift that you have given us. We thank you for the gift of community, Lord. We thank you for other people. We thank you for all the relationships that you have put into our life. We thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord, who we will celebrate today, but also celebrate especially in a few weeks. We thank you for giving him to us on this earth. We thank you for his birth and the salvation that we have through him, Lord. I pray this Christmas season, Lord, that you remind us as Agapeans, as Christians, to look out for those people with the red noses, Lord. The people who have been forgotten. I pray for the people in our lives, Lord, the people at our schools, the people at our work that we might not be thinking about, but who are looking for something, Lord. And I pray that you give us the ability to be a light to those people, Lord. In Jesus' holy name.